So, three days to go in the January transfer window and some big guns doing late business. This is Transfer Daily. I'm Adam Leventhal. Lots to get through. We're talking Manchester United and the incoming Bruno Fernandes. Will the business end there? And we'll touch on the situation surrounding Ed Woodward as well. David Ornstein joins us to talk about Arsenal's new arrival. Across North London, Charlie Eccleshare analyses the Stephen Bergvine transfer. We'll be dealing with Newcastle as well on the potential takeover and its impact on transfers. So loads to get through. I'll try and throw in a bit of Watford as well towards the end. But we're going to start at Old Trafford and Laurie Whitwell can bring us right up to speed on the capture of Bruno Fernandes from Sporting Lisbon. Hi guys, Laurie Whitwell here, uh, covering Manchester United for The Athletic. Uh, and on Monday I was talking to Jackie Oatley, uh, cautious optimism regarding Bruno Fernandes. And fortunately United have pressed the button on it and they've completed a deal for him. Uh, it'll be €55 million Euro guaranteed, uh, €10 million Euro add-ons on top which are seen as realistic in terms of Bruno's appearances and United's Champions League qualification and then another 15 million euro on top of that pertaining to more speculative uh, clauses Ballon d'Or uh, victory uh, United winning the Champions League which listen if they come off then I'm sure United will be more than happy to pay it's taken a while getting it done uh, you know sort of a month I suppose from when it all uh, started and I guess you can question whether or not that was worth it in the long term. You know, if he'd been in the team for the last few weeks, would United's results have been better? Would the mood have been better? Uh, we shall see. That's obviously a call United made. So I think ultimately is a important signing for Solskjaer. It really was crucial to get fresh impetus into the squad this month. It's obviously looked very stretched. Bruno, we don't know how he's going to fare in England, obviously. He's had a spell in Italy before that was a bit hit and miss, but he was a lot younger then. He's massively improved in recent years and even this season. Um, a scorer of goals, a leader of men as well. So I think United have got a good signing there. Okay, so that's the latest on Bruno Fernandes from Laurie. The Athletics' Andy Mitten has uh, joined us just to expand on that a little bit. And the fact, Andy, that the deal has seemingly got over the line after a pretty significant increase over the last month and then, you know, in the last couple of days, that reported interest from Barcelona seemed to have pushed up the cost even more. Does that expose a desperation from United to get the deal done or in the in the final throes of the transfer window? Are these sort of plays just simply to be expected? Well, there is a desperation because Manchester United's squad is short. There's too many injuries there and the results have been bad. So that all adds pressure. But also Sporting were under pressure because, as I understand it, and I spoke to the last couple of presidents at, at Sporting Lisbon, they, they need money. There are issues there. And I think both sides were playing poker. They both wanted to get, Sporting wanted to get the amount they felt was worth for the player and United felt that their valuation was completely different. So this is why there's been a standoff. Barcelona, I spoke to people at Barcelona and, and it was news to them about Bruno Fernandes. So I think they've been played a little bit and United have finally, although it still hasn't been done and I spoke to Sporting last night, uh, United's finally in a position where they think it's going to be done and it's a transfer that will be welcomed by fans. The squad definitely needs strengthening and United need a, a, a shot of brightness after a, a really bad month where the team have lost five games. I don't think any United fan expected a title challenge this season, but there are minimum requirements and losing five games 
in the space of a month doesn't come close to meeting them. There's a lot of frustration around among fans. There's a lot of anger among fans as well. And that, that's why you're hearing the songs protesting against the Glazers and against Edward Wood uh, matches. And signing Bruno Fernandes won't alleviate that anger or that frustration, but it will help. I'll ask you a little bit more about Edward Wood in a moment's time, but just in terms of um, the further strengthening that Manchester United fans would like to see, we've only got three days left. Is the expectation that there's going to be more business done or the fact that this deal for Bruno Fernandes has taken pretty much the whole month, has that been a, a preoccupation that will, will limit the opportunities in these final few days? I think there'll be more business. I think there'll be some outgoings. I think Marcus Rojo expects to go to Estudiantes in Argentina, although that hasn't been confirmed yet. United would certainly open to looking at loan deals to bring a, a forward player in because that injury to Rashford is, is very costly. And just as Barcelona are trying to bring somebody in to replace Luis Suarez, so Manchester United... Uh, are open to it. And they're, they're under pressure because United don't want to repeat the mistakes they feel they made in the past by bringing big names in who haven't worked out, by being held to ransom a little bit by agents. But at the same time, the squad and the team needs talent. It needs goals. The season is still alive. It has been a disappointing one, but United are still in the Europa League, still in the League Cup just, and they're still in the FA Cup. And they overcame... A difficult game at Wolverhampton away in the third round of the FA Cup. And they're still in the FA Cup. You know, they can they're gonna play Derby County or Northampton Town next. These are these are winnable games. And if United were to win one trophy this season, that would suffice. Yes, the mighty have fallen, uh, but one one trophy would, would su- suffice because this is a team which is which is going through a rebuild, cultural reset, call it what you want. I like the fact that we're having this conversation and I can tell that you're on the move, that you're uh, you're heading towards getting on a train by the sounds of it, having got out of your car. I do like the, I, I like the, the realism of the whole thing. I wanted to ask you about Edward Wood. We touched upon it before. Obviously, we've, you know, seen what's happened at his house. We've heard the chants. You wrote about, you know, why the fans are feeling the way they do at the end of last week and, and why, obviously... Many have obviously gone too far. Um, how do you think you know the last twenty four hours will affect how Woodward operates, if at all? Yeah, I'm on the move. I'm going to Manchester for the Derby game. This is the real life of a football journalist. I I watched Colchester United against Swindon Town last night, and I'm I'm, I'm keeping an eye on Rick Wellens. He's a Manchester lad. He's doing very well. Uh, Swindon are top of the league, and he's an ambitious young manager. As I was leaving the ground, I saw news reports of what happened outside um, one of Edward Wood's homes in Cheshire, close to Manchester. Will United change what they're doing? I I don't think so. They don't like what's what's happening. That's obvious. Uh, The fans are very angry at the moment and this has been coming for a while. This is a storm which is played out in songs protest songs, United fans have been extremely patient, but the patience of a lot of them has snapped. And and then you saw the songs in the last three uh, matches and then the events outside Edward Wood's house, the club. I don't think they'll change anything. And it's, it's a bad situation for everyone to be in. The fan base is completely divided. There are fans arguing among themselves as to whether it's justified or not. There's absolute outrage from supporters. And it's a really unsavoury, unedifying situation that Manchester United and Manchester United 
fans uh, are in. And I tried to explain it to somebody last night and they said, all this over a game of football. And mm. if only it was, it, it, it was that simple. I've written a lot about fan culture around the world and I've, I've travelled to over 85 countries writing about football and I've spoken to ultra groups and I've travelled with ultra groups. And what happened in Cheshire by Woodward's house, it certainly shouldn't be condoned, but it's actually tame in comparison to some of the other things that I've seen in Europe. No, nobody wants to see stuff like this happening, but it's, it's happened before. And it's always happened when the, there's been moments of real tension among Manchester United fans before the, the Glazer takeover, which was very, very unpopular. And that has never changed. And then at other moments, not just when the team haven't been performing well, but where fans have felt that the club is in a perilous position, there's a huge emotional investment which fans make into supporting a football club. And rightly or wrongly, people react in very passionate, irrational, sometimes rational ways. And I'm not just referring to what happened outside Ed Woodward's house, but there's a real strong strength of feeling among Manchester United fans at the moment. Yeah, and I wanted to also um, point people in the direction of an article which, which gives maybe a little bit more background on Ed Woodward as well. And it's, it's from a little while back, but it's worth just searching on the Athletic app. Uh, it's called This Is Ed Woodward, and it was uh, a collaboration between a whole host of uh, athletic writers. And that gives a bit of background as to his uh, position at Manchester United and some of the people that surround him as well, which is really, really interesting. Um, Andy, just before I ask you about someone else, which reflects on you know some of the points that you've made there, that you are well-travelled, let's just check in with David Ornstein, who has uh, that news regarding a new signing at Arsenal. Arsenal are finally on the verge of completing the signing of Pablo Marie, the 26-year-old Spanish central defender from Flamengo in Brazil. It's a deal that seemed to be on over the weekend when Marie flew into the UK with Arsenal's technical director Edu, then possibly off when he returned to South America without anything being finalised. But it was always our understanding that negotiations would be ongoing with the hope of a positive conclusion. And that conclusion is now in sight because Arsenal have agreed a deal with Flamengo to sign Marie on loan for the rest of the season with an option to buy. The feeling coming out of Flamengo was that they wanted either a permanent deal, a loan with an obligation to buy, or a loan with an option but a higher loan fee. And it seems consensus has been reached. Perhaps there is a higher loan fee, but this is the outcome that Arsenal wanted. They wanted to bring in a left-sided central defender on loan with an option to buy, and that's what they're about to get. Okay, so that's the latest from David on the arrival of Mari at the Emirates. Uh, we'll have more from David a little bit later on on the show because many of you have asked questions about potential arrivals after Mari at the Emirates and we'll tell you all about them later. But Andy, I wanted to get your take on Mari because he's someone that you've written about relatively recently for The Athletic and someone who's uh, familiar to people in Manchester as well, albeit the blue half. Yeah, I, I saw that there was a, a good story as Flamengo were on the way to the Libertadores. And I thought, is this really true? He was about to become the first Spaniard to, to win the Libertadores. And he was playing in the Spanish second division for Deportivo La Coruña as recently as a year ago. And I looked at all of his figures and he was playing in front of crowds of two or three thousand. And now he's about to become potentially a champion of the world if Flamengo were to, to beat Liverpool. So... I tracked him down. I spoke to him. He was really pleased to do the interview. I don't think he'd done an interview 
for anyone in English before and I, I had a good chat with him and I kept in touch with him. He'd been contracted to Manchester City. Uh, he'd been to Manchester to do medicals. He'd never actually met Pep Guardiola. So you had this weird situation of someone who'd been a Manchester City player but had never played a game in England. And then the speculation started about Arsenal. I checked that out. It was true. I spoke to the player again. He's looking forward to coming to play in England. And he, he's from Valencia. He's had a very varied career while never being at the top level. He's played in Holland, uh, where he was captain in a very, very young side. And he's ambitious. And he's, he struck me as someone who's intelligent, who likes to move around the world with his family to experience different types of culture. He'd really enjoyed living in Rio. He, he caught a very fast train in some way because I don't think anyone expected Flamengo to become South American champions for the first time since 1981. But he was playing with really good, experienced players in defence alongside him. And that helped him. Um, he's a big lad, as you say, left-footed, uh, very comfortable, ball-playing defender. My only doubt was, how good is this guy? Because if he's that good... Why in his mid-twenties has he only been playing second-tier football? And with respect in South America, it's sometimes difficult to gauge how good the best South American teams are. And Flamengo played well enough against Liverpool. But Arsenal are going for him and, and he's really looking forward to it. And good luck to the lad. It's interesting, though, you mentioned the fact that he was at City, he didn't meet Pep Guardiola, that Mikel Arteta has made a move for him. I wonder where that information came from. Maybe he, he bumped into him when he was doing his medical. Yeah, that was the first thing I thought when, when the Arsenal link came. Arteta knows exactly who's who and on City's books. He's a Spaniard. He's had a great season. His stock has risen out of nowhere, really, because even when he was playing in the second division for Deportivo, this was a struggling Deportivo team and they're struggling even more this year. And that's another story in itself because... Deportivo La Coruña, Super Depot, one of the strongest teams in Europe 15 years ago. So at, at the start of this season, um, he didn't have a clue where he was going. He just thought, I'm going on holiday. I'm owned by Manchester City. He knew he wasn't going to get into City's first team. It just shows how quickly football can turn. Andy, great work. Safe travels. From a new signing at Arsenal then to one at Spurs, Charlie Eccleshare. Confirmation today that Tottenham have completed the signing of Steven Bergwijn, I'm told that's the pronunciation, uh, from PSV Eindhoven. And I've had a look at him in a bit more depth for The Athletic uh, and basically his journey to this point. And it's been an eventful one. He was part of the Ajax youth setup, left the club at 13 after falling out between his dad uh, and one of the coaches, then uh, went to PSV shortly after and went on this long commute, like an hour and 45 minutes each way uh, to play for them. Eventually moved to Eindhoven with his family. Uh, broke into the first team, made his debut at 17, now has nine Dutch caps. Really exciting player, pacey, tricky winger, most comfortable on the left, cutting in. Uh, and leaves PSV, I think with the goodwill of, of most of his teammates, he was very popular in the dressing room. I think disappointment from the club that he's left at this point, they're having a pretty rough season. But Tottenham probably won't care too much about that. They've got someone in who's really exciting and the most they've spent on a player in January ever, just more than Lucas Moura, we believe. So, yeah, a big, big signing for Tottenham and lots to get into in this piece. Yeah, do check out that article from Charlie on The Athletic as we speak. Uh, now to Newcastle. Let's deal with the situation at St James's and that potential Saudi takeover. This from The Athletic's Pod on the Time podcast from George Colkin first. 
it's important to say very much at the outset that nothing has been agreed, and at this point, it takes one man to to agree for something at this club, and that's not happened so far, and it's it's not happened with this latest bid. My understanding is that everything that's come out over the weekend is right and that this has progressed to to a stage where the finishing line is in sight but the you know the key point again is to say that it hasn't got to the stage where it's been signed or agreed even though a lot of things have been agreed obviously the game changer this time is the involvement of of Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund and you know none, none of this stuff has been denied so uh, whether it's from the club or from Ashley's side or from Saudi Arabia, so there is there is a kind of a, a widespread assumption that that this is kind of genuine. And again, my understanding is that it's got to the stage where it's pretty much make your mind up time that things like price have, has been agreed and and sort of most of the big details have been agreed. There are still a few stumbling blocks, but in the context of a deal like this, I think if it was any other kind of any other kind of deal, if it was in the financial world, you would be pretty much saying it's done. However, this isn't done yet because, yeah. but I, you know, again, everything I'm told is that if it doesn't happen this time, it's because of one one person only, and we know who that is. Okay, so George is obviously talking about Mike Ashley there. Uh, Chris Woff, who is also on the Pod on the Tyne podcast, one of the Athletics uh, Newcastle writers, joins us now just to expand upon that a little bit. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because there's obviously a lot of issues connected with having a potential Saudi Arabian takeover of your club. But would Newcastle fans still prefer that to Mike Ashley? I think it's a very difficult one. And I wouldn't pretend to speak for all Newcastle fans. And I know there's a lot of split opinion there. A local newspaper, The Chronicle, did a poll last weekend where they put out there, would you want Saudi ownership? And 80% of those respondents said yes, they'd prefer that to Mike Ashley. And so I think there is a general feeling that anything other than Mike Ashley is exactly what Newcastle fans want. They want a clean break. He's been here for nearly 13 years and they don't feel that the progress has been made that should have been in terms of the size of the club and the potential it has. But that doesn't mean that that the other fans are, are feel correct and feel that this is this is the way that things should go because of the obvious ethical and moral concerns potentially with Saudi Arabian takeover although I suppose that you already have uh, Saudi Arabian involvement at Sheffield United there's obviously uh, clubs who are owned by other countries in the Premier League say Man City or elsewhere where there's ethical questions as well so it's not just Newcastle United who have this problem but at the moment they could be faced with that soon. Is this do you think proving to be a distraction at a key time of the transfer window or is, you know, the recruitment team and the business that Steve Bruce wants to do? We've heard about, you know, Danny Rose. Is that is that unaffected at the moment? Well, the noise is obviously now the, the agenda is shifted on Tyneside to be about a potential takeover. And there's been frustration from some fans because they see this as a ploy from Mike Ashley because it seems that every single transfer window, new takeover claims come about. Uh, the, the noises behind this one are certainly different to those previous ones and and I don't think that, that, that this has leaked from the Ashley side I think this is genuine and, and is, is more come from the, the other side to be honest but in terms of the transfer business Newcastle have insisted that that it, that, that hasn't been unaffected I mean Steve Bruce knew nothing of it until it came out last Saturday he's since received reassurances that look we you can still try and get the left wing back that you want by the window the end of the window and then hopefully I mean ideally Newcastle would also like to get a striker in as well but that, that's looking unlikely priorities are lying elsewhere but 
transfer business in theory is, is unaffected internally at Newcastle, but indirectly it has been affected according to agents and others because clubs are looking at it and thinking, who is in charge at Newcastle? How much should we be asking for? And so really it is an unknown and it is an unwelcome distraction in that sense with just two days or so left in the window. Yeah, it certainly is an extra twist in the uh, transfer window, courtesy of Newcastle. Chris, thank you very much indeed. And uh, yeah, don't forget that you can hear more from Chris and uh, George Culkin as well on the Pod of the Tyne podcast, one of a whole host of club-specific podcasts uh, that we offer you via The Athletic. Right, before we go, let's deal with some of the questions that you have kindly sent in to me on Twitter. Uh, and predictably, if you mention that David Ornstein is going to be on the podcast, you get loads on Arsenal. Arteta Let's Go asked in particular about the potential arrival of Cedric Suarez. And uh, David gave this answer. They may still do some more business before the transfer window shuts with another loan possible and it would look like being in the defensive area again. Reports have linked them with Southampton's Cedric Suarez. I don't know about that one at this stage. However, he is a player going into the final six months of his contract so it could be a cost-effective deal for Arsenal once again. Elsewhere, I'll be looking into the situations at Tottenham who are looking for a striker before the transfer window closes to deputise for the injured Harry Kane. One of the options we know is um, Christoph Piontek from AC Milan. So I'll be doing some digging around to see what's happening with that because they won't be the only club interested in him. Will Chelsea come into the picture on that one as well? It's a really intriguing situation developing around Piontek and AC Milan. And also Olivier Giroud, what's going to happen there? He's desperate to secure a move uh, before that window closes. The reports and the negotiations have always surrounded Inter Milan. However, in the last 24 hours or so, it seems that Tottenham have come into the picture. We know that Giroud wants to secure this move and he would probably be open to whatever is the best option for him personally. But Chelsea will, of course, have a significant say in this matter. There's loads to read all over The Athletic today, including our exclusive interview with Mino Raiola talking about um, the unseemly attack on Ed Woodward's house um, on Tuesday night. Uh, Danny Taylor on Manchester City's recruitment work, a very interesting behind the scenes look at what they do there and much more besides. Uh, plenty of questions into me regarding Watford as well. Uh, I wrote about the situation regarding Ben Gibson uh, yesterday lunchtime. That article came out. As I understand it, nothing significant has changed in that regard. There have been talks over a possible loan. It may or may not be rekindled before the deadline at 11 o'clock on Friday. But they are certainly looking for a centre-back, a backup centre-back. Questions in also about uh, Andre Gray. That's looking more likely to be a departure in the summer now. Uh, Adalberto Penuranda, who arrived a couple of Januaries ago, I seem to remember, when I was freezing cold, stood outside Watford's training ground. It was very difficult to actually say his name. He's back at the club. It's likely now that he will probably have to find another loan deal out or he could stick around, but I'm not sure if there is enough room in the squad for him. And in terms of uh, other outgoings, we're just waiting for loan deals out for success. Uh, Kina, Delhi Bashiru as well. We'll keep you posted on that. Also mention of uh, Sebastian Prodel heading out to uh, Udinese. 
as I understand it, he's still recovering from an injury. So that may not happen uh, in the immediate future. Right. We will obviously keep you posted on The Athletic, on all the latest news, on our transfer tracker. And seeing as you've got all the way to the end of the podcast, you have done a great job. And I will give you a bonus. If you want to get 40% off The Athletic subscription, you're not yet a full subscriber to the wonderful world that is The Athletic. All you need to do is put in the promo code UKPOD and you will get that discount. We will be back tomorrow. We've got great things planned for deadline day as well. So look out for news on that. Uh, But uh, we'll take a breather and we'll rejoin you on Thursday.